It's good to be up here again. It's been a little while. I'm going to move over here. I want to remember to pray also for um, the college students who are, have their finals coming up this week. Is that right? You guys have your finals? You feeling good? You feel like you need some prayer? Yes, please. Um, yeah, so pray for them. The fruit of their whole semester come into uh, hopefully good, good fruition in the finals. I actually had my final for Greek. <clears throat> That's nice and feels good to have that done with, and it's, I think I did okay. Um, it was kind of funny, though, right at the end, as I was double-checking my work, I decided to change one of my answers, and as soon as I turned it in, I knew I had it right the first time. I don't know why our brains do that. And I was, like, driving home, like, I, why? I had, like, six reasons why I knew I was right the first time, but all that just disappeared, and I had to change it. Anyway, I still did okay. So yes, we are, um, we're here in Advent. You heard uh, my wife, uh, Jamie, she did a great job on announcements. She's such a natural up here. <clears throat> Mentioned this is our first Christmas with you, Solano, and that's true. And this is also our first Advent series. And so I had a chance to kind of dig in and pray about what we wanted to do for this series. And um, the, the, the words that came to me was, was loss and longing, and I kind of want to give you kind of what the, the idea behind this series is. And, and the goal, I would say, is more existential than it is theological. And what I mean by that is that uh, this series is about entering into our lived experiences. Really, really want to lean into what has transpired in our lives, especially over this last year, uh, 2021. It was one of the hardest years of my life. And my family's life, and um, I think for many of us, it had some very unique challenges um, that we we are bringing into this moment. And I think it's appropriate to think this way because um, if you think about what it means that Jesus is God incarnate, that means that His truth become flesh, and that um, and and it's. It's truth coming into the world. I mean, it is one of the most gritty realities that you can imagine is that God became a baby. He came through a woman's birth canal, right? I mean, that is real. That is as existential as it gets. And then it literally says uh, in Psalms, you made me trust you at my mother's breasts, right? So this is... This is talking about the fact that God would have to nurse and would have to be fed by his mother as a helpless babe, as we just sang about. And what this all begins to point to is that God is not just a concept, not just a philosophical idea. Um, he is a living theology. He is an ex Jesus is an explosion of reality. And we have to have the courage to bring the Jesus we profess and teach in our pulpits, we have to have the courage to bring them into our lives, into our moments, into the moment right now. And so maybe when I say this series is more existential than theological, I want to be careful, though, be careful because maybe that's a false dichotomy. The goal of our teaching, the goal of our studying, is to bring Christ into our lives, just as he was born into a manger. Right, And I want you to think about this image of a manger. 
What does it mean that he was born into a manger? Because he could have been born into a palace, right? That was the magi, the wise men, that was their mistake. They went looking for the baby, and where did they go? Jerusalem. He's got to be in the capital. He's got to, if he's a king, he must be born with pomp and circumstance. And that was their expectation, but that's not where he was born, is it? The manger is, a, is kind of a dingy, kind of smelly, poor, obscure place to be born in an obscure town of Bethlehem. But do you know why he was born there? Because Jesus' whole, the whole point of Christ's coming was he, was he was coming to make his home in us. And so the manger represents the accessibility. He, does, he didn't come to be born into a palace. He came to be born into our messy lives. That's where he wants to make it his home. He was pleased to come to the manger and to be born there. As a, as, and it represents the accessibility of God into our own hearts. And so he is our God with us. And we want to bring them, we want to bring him into this moment, into our experiences. And so, you know, the the reason why we titled it Loss and Longing is also because this is the context of Jesus' birth in the New Testament. And, And as you read the story of his birth and even some of the songs we sing, we realize that the conditions that Christ were born into were extremely difficult for Israel. Right? We know that they were captive Israel. They were uh, under oppression from the Roman, Roman government. They were still reeling from the exile 400 years before. They never attained to the same degree of status and stature they were before. And so they are a small people who um, have, they are God's people. And, and also they are struggling with um, kind of a corrupt religious establishment. We see that when Jesus comes. He has to confront a, a religious leadership uh, uh, institution that had gone, um, that had strayed away from the Lord. They honored with their lips, but not with their heart. So there's a lot of loss in Israel's experience. But there were also huge promises given to Israel. We're going to learn about these. We're going to study the book of Zechariah uh, after this series is over. And I've been studying that book. And it is full of crazy promises of God restoring Israel to a place of strength and prosperity. And so Israel, entering into the Christmas story, they have a profound longing and hope that God is going to do something amazing in their midst. And so the idea behind this series is that we can relate to Israel. The circumstances are different. Our relationship with God is different, gloriously different. Yet we too groan under our extended exile. All right? If you remember the sermon from a few weeks ago, that God has placed us um, that might have been last week, actually. So it was. So we have an extended exile where we long to be home with God, but we're still here, and so we still experience the brokenness of this world. We experience our own sin. We experience hostility in different corners of our lives. Nature is against us. COVID and illness, and our bodies break down, and. Our cars break down, if you've had my luck over the last six months. 
So all of us are bringing a sense of loss into this moment today. But we also have dreams and hopes for the future. Right? Most of us have some kind of vision of some future prosperity or things that we are asking God to do. For example, many of us long for a home and a family. Or many of us want a meaningful job for us to feel recognized and accomplished. We long to be healed from physical or emotional suffering. We long for deep relationships, or we long for relationships to be restored. We want to have peace in our homes. We long for a vibrant church community, not weighed down by the pandemic. We long for the stains of our many social evils to be eradicated, and for the church of Jesus Christ to lead the way in loving our neighbors. And so that, the idea of longing is going to be something we'll address next week. And so just if you draw your attention to this take home and your seats, that's something for you to reflect on. Today is about our losses, but next week will be about what are you hoping for? What are you asking God to do? Sometimes it's hard to get at that. We're even scared to say it. We're scared to say the deep things that we are hoping for, ambitious for, longing for, but we want you to try to say it. We want, you, we want to be able to bring those to God next week. So take this home and reflect on it. And so as we look at the circumstances of Jesus' entry into the world, into, into the world of Israel, we see parallels with our world. And so I believe the role of Advent, if you think about why do we celebrate Advent, what is the point of Advent? We already know that Jesus came. We already know he was born. So how do we enact this anticipation moment? And I think the idea behind Advent is that we actually want to enter into the gospel story by entering into the story of Christ's birth, which is about taking stock of what this year has been like for us, which means taking stock of both the good and the bad. We want to take stock of how are we experiencing the pain that we want to bring Jesus into. So that, that way we can relive the Christmas story in the joy of our Savior coming into our life. But that means we have to take some time and pause and reflect on our moments. And so the goal of these next few weeks of loss and longing is one, we want to have comfort. It's not just to feel bad. We want to dig into the law so that we can be comforted by what it means that Jesus is our God with us. We want to experience deeper peace and shalom. We want to experience bondedness with one another. So we want to realize that we're in it together. We're in this difficult time of extended exile, of brokenness, of kind of being able to relate to Israel until Christ comes. We're in this together. So hopefully by, by going through this kind of liturgy of loss together, we'll, 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 we'll bond. And finally, we want to have renewed joy in our salvation with the aim of giving momentum and excitement for the future. So we're going to go there. We want to get to a place where we're excited about next year. We're excited about what God can do. And we want to go, go for it as a church. We want to fan into flame the passions and gifting that God has for us to pursue his mission.
So we're going to go there. But today, we're going to make space to recognize our losses over this last year. Our pains and griefs that we bring with us. So to help us guide us today, we're going to look at a story that you just read it. It struck me when Emma read the passage of infanticide by Herod. She said, this is the word of the Lord. It's a painful story that God captured for us. Just to recap what led up to it, we have the, um, the scene. This, this is preceded by the famous scene where the wise men come to town. Um, we don't know how many there were. Um, we know they gave three gifts, frankincense, myrrh, and gold. But we, know, we don't know how many there were. In fact, we do know it was a large entourage. They came looking for the king. Somehow they knew that Jesus was going to be born. They saw the star. They knew some of the promises. But they didn't have the whole story. So they were like, hey, where's the king? And so the scribes are like, huh, uh, yeah, let me, let me look into that. Um, and they're like, oh, look at that, Bethlehem. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod is the king of Judea, which means he... He's still under Roman rule, but Judea is his playground. This is his area to be the big fish in the small pond. And uh, he will suffer no rival to his rule. And we know from scripture and from history that he was a paranoid, brutal um, uh, king who killed any any rivals, including his own children. Uh, and so... Uh, he sends the Magi and says, you know what, go look, go look for the child and let me know when you find him and I want to go worship him too. But what happens is after the Magi find baby Jesus, they are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And then Joseph is warned in a dream to get out of there, um, flee from Herod. And so that's when they go to Egypt. And so we pick up our story. And um, let's look at this again. And Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. <clears throat> so that's a pretty straightforward reading of what happened. It's pretty easy to understand. He became furious, so he, just, he, he, you know, he got tricked. He wanted to find Jesus so he can eliminate him. That plan failed, so he came up with a, a brutal, uh, but in his mind, effective strategy. Let's just eliminate all the male children. That'll solve my problem. Of course, that strategy failed, um, but the massacre still took place. The passage I want to focus on is Matthew's the verse that Matthew attaches to this scene, how he explains what's going on. And he quotes from Jeremiah. He says, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This quote is plucked by the gospel writer from the prophet Jeremiah. And the context of this passage is um, in reference to the exile. 
And it's at the end, it's in Jeremiah 31, so it's towards the end. Jeremiah is the prophet that basically had to announce to Israel, that's it, you're done, you're going to Babylon, God is through with you, you he has tried for so long, you have been stiff-necked for so long, you're all going to exile, and it's going to be horrible. And that's Jeremiah's job. That's why he's the weeping prophet. He doesn't want to do it. He's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to share. And so... But in this verse, in chapter 31, he gets to good news. The whole context of this quote about Rachel weeping is actually about God promising the exiles are going to come back. And they're going to be restored. And so he actually, tell, he actually says right after this verse about Rachel weeping, he says, there is a weep no more. There is hope for your future. They shall come back. And your children shall come back to their own country. And so what's happening here is that this verse about Rachel weeping is a metaphor for the pain of the exile. The pain of Israel having to be uh, removed from their land as God's chosen people brought to Babylon and is depicted metaphorically by Rachel weeping. Rachel is the wife of Jacob. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so Rachel is the symbolic mother, not literally the mother. She was only the mother of two of those sons. Uh, It was kind of a dysfunctional family situation. You can read about that. But she symbolically is the mother. And so the pain of the exile is represented by the grief of a mother losing her children. Can't think of a more intense grief than that. And you feel it in this passage. She weeps because they are no more. It's hard to imagine a mother feeling her, that her children are just gone. And the grief of that is intense because it's not only the loss of a of human being, death, but the loss of a future, the loss of potential, so there's kind of a mathematical brutality, finality to that. And it's in that context that God says, but no, there's hope. And so what's a little bit shocking to me is that Matthew sees in this passage, which is a metaphor, he sees it being literally fulfilled by the death of these children. And so... One thing, you know, what, what that means, what Matthew's trying to do in this passage, in fact, the whole birth narrative, is he's trying to establish for his readers and for us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And again, you gotta, if you dig into the Old Testament, and we're going to do this, and I'm excited. You guys, I don't know how to say this. God has promised this servant would come. This mighty king would come. It's all over. It's difficult for us to fathom the anticipation Israel had for this great Messiah. And so Matthew is saying, he is the one. This is the one. And every single event is prophesied, including this event. This horrible event, what Matthew wants us to see in it is that God is working. God is fulfilling his promises And while these are explanations for this passage, we are still left with the gut-wrenching reality that these children died and these families suffered. 
Now, the Magi were able to escape. Even Jesus was able to escape. Now, of course, hold that thought, though, because he escaped this murder only to willingly later give himself into the anger of mankind and humankind against God's kingdom. And that's why he died on the cross. So it's not like he just escaped. He would later volunteer himself to die. And he is the one that we have pierced. And so in, er- in Herod's anger, we're to see a metaphor for man's anger against God bringing his kingdom to replace our kingdom. We don't like that. And Jesus went right into the storm of that. But for now, he escapes. And so we're left with this horrible reality. And so what I intuit a bit from what what Matthew is doing, using this quote, is it not only gives us an explanation of these events, that it's fulfilling prophecy, but I also see it as a kind of memorial to the tragedy. Although the passage in Jeremiah immediately follows with a word of comfort. We have Rachel weeping, and the very next verse is God saying, weep no more. Matthew doesn't quote that. He leaves us with Rachel's pain. And that feels right. It feels right that he is acknowledging the tragedy through that prophecy, through the, the, the image of a mother's grief, he leaves us there with it. As this painful episode, he doesn't resolve it. And it just, it just comes as a gut punch. And so, here's what's happening God's salvation is coming. That's what this passage is saying. It's part of this string of events. God's salvation is coming. And a mother weeps horribly. It's tragic. No quick jump to, but God has a plan, so cheer up. Could you imagine that? After the the infanticide, if he had quoted Rachel's weeping and then the next verse, but cheer up, God's salvation is coming, that would fail to recognize the humanity of the pain. But scripture and Matthew, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, takes the time to recognize that pain. So there's space to feel. There's an invitation to recognize the tragedy, even in the context of hope. And so this is the place that we stand as Christians. This is the space we want to enter into for Advent as a church today. In 2021, God is fulfilling his promises to, to us. We're going to celebrate Christ's birth in a few weeks, and yet some things need to be weeped for. Some things need memorializing. And so for now, we will feel the things that elude our ability to be comforted in. Rachel wept and refused to be comforted. There was this agonizing pain. Now God has a word for Rachel. God has a word for us. We will be comforted. But for now, and we'll move towards that in the coming weeks, but we'll move to it. But for now, we feel it. I'm the kind of guy 
I swim in my thoughts. I'm a thinking guy, right? If you know the Myers-Briggs, I'm, I'm introverted thinker, which means I like think about something, I like dig a hole into it. Just imagine like digging a trench and that's me. I'm just constantly thinking about things. Now, what I don't do is I don't swim in my feelings. Feelings are scary to me. They feel overwhelming. Not sure how to handle them. And I, looking back, I understand that as a child, I didn't know this was happening, but I learned to be ashamed of strong feelings. Probably part of that is some of the, the, the pictures I got of manhood. And so, but as an adult, I'm learning to be more like Jesus who cried. Jesus took time to weep. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. I love that. I love that we get, boom, one full sentence. Jesus, intransitive verb, wept. See my Greek coming out there. Intransitive verb, Jesus wept. What that means that if Jesus cried, sometimes tears are the best truth. It wasn't a moment for teaching. He got to teaching. He got to resurrection and new life. And okay, I'm going to show you Mary and Martha, what's really happening. But before that, what did he do? He wept. Lazarus died. He wept. There was just a moment to feel. So 2021 has been a challenging year for all of us. Individually, and it was uniquely challenging for Solano as a church. 2020 brought the pandemic and great social unrest. And 2021, I believe, we felt the effects. The punch landed last year. This year, we reeled from the blow. That's what it feels like to me. If you just feel the progression, last year everything went down and it was crazy. And it was, yeah, there were some painful parts, but 2021 was really where the effects of it began to show. And I think we reeled. And I think there was great loss this year. Obviously, we know God was doing and is doing amazing things, but there's just, just hurt. Some things I've seen and experienced, we've seen friendships torn apart. Plans and dreams have vanished. Our schools and our communities and our governments are not what they once were. And Solano Church is not what it once was. I'm aware of the history. I know that we've had a major change in location. We were at the school in Albany for many, many years, and then we moved to El Cerrito, and then the pandemic hit, and we don't know what the effects of that are. On, the, on this church. In some cases, unity and mutual affection have waned among us. Some people's faith in Christ has faltered. It feels like some people we love have disappeared. Maybe we feel like we've disappeared a little bit. And that's been a theme for me as I've been, uh, uh, as I've come in here to Solano as a pastor. I have that unique perspective of I just listen to what's been going on, you know. I just hear the stories, and so while there are some amazing things that have happened and are happening, and I'm I'm up here feeling very thankful for God placing me and my our family here, 
yet I've been grieved by the, the loss of relationships that many uh, of the members of the church have experienced between 20 and 21. Just some devastating losses. We've had trials of emotional and physical health. Some of us have moved into an RV. That's, by the way, that's me and my family. I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, I was reflecting this last week on what was, how, what has our loss been this last year? And I think that, you know, for us, it's the loss of being displaced. You know, we, we were in San Jose for 10 years. We were with crew for 15 years. I decided to follow God and be a pastor. And I was excited. And we moved our family to Livermore. And it was going to be a new adventure. And then and we started to make roots. And things were going great. We were thinking about even buying a house. And we had future plans. And then things started to unravel. And we had to move and be uprooted. And that was very painful to, and then to come here is great, but I don't know any of you. You don't know us. And we're, that's going to change, but it's just, it just hurts to have to start over. And so that's been our loss. That's what has caused Jamie and I the most grief. And so I think that many of us, and I, and, and I could go on. I don't want to go on too much. Um, but I want you to enter in with me into this moment. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to want to avoid the painful places. We just want to keep going. Just keep charging forward. But I don't think the gospel, I think the gospel invites us to pause and invite Jesus into these moments. I think that's going to help us grow, heal, be comforted, grow in unity together. So the way I see it is it would not be right to enter the new year with all this energy and vision and excitement, which we want to do, but without time to pause and lament and let the Holy Spirit room to groan on, to God on our behalf. Think about that. That's, do you know that's part of what God does for us? In Romans 8, it says the Spirit groans for us with, word, with groanings too deep for words. That is part of our communion with the Lord, with God himself, is that he feels deeply our griefs so that, so that we can be helped in our time of weakness. And so we groan. It's healthy to take time to groan. We invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. He groans with us. He participates with us in these moments. So we'll take advantage of Advent. Advent is a season to slow down, to ponder and anticipate the birth of Christ, which means also taking time to understand how we need to invite Jesus into our losses because we know we are not alone. We know he is our God with us. So what I want us to do is I want us um, to take time of participation. I want you to think through some of the tough losses, some of your rough places, things that are, feel like warfare for you, some of your griefs, things that cause your soul to lament. 
things that may, are difficult for you to feel comfort about, I want you to write them down. You have a piece of paper. We're going to take some time. I want you to take a piece of paper. I want you to find a, a writing utensil. should be in front of you, in the chair behind you, in your purse, your backpack. What I'm going to have you do is you're going to write them down anonymously. Don't put your name. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to stand up and I want you to put it in this manger here. I want you to, we're going to literally put it in the manger. Again, part of this is something we want to experience as a church. So I could have you just write it down and keep it. But part of the goal of this is that we would, we would see that we are in this moment together as a church. So I'm going to want you to get up and put it in the manger. Write it anonymously. What we're going to do is we're going to pray and read over this as a staff, and next week we're going we're gonna to pray over these griefs. We're going to read a few of them. Can't read all of them, but especially if there's some themes that come out, we're going to read a few of them so you can even hear what some of the people in this church are going through. And then we're going to pray responsibly next week and continue to move towards the joy of Christ's birth. Um, so, Here's the prompt. What have been your losses over this last year? Maybe it's been relationships. Maybe some things in work. Emotional, spiritual, or physical struggles. Write them down. And then in your own time, we're going to take about, I don't know, 10 minutes. Um, come in and put them up here. And so I think Miguel's going to give us some background music here.
pray with me? Lord, um, we lay these, this offering before you in this manger, Lord, where you remind us uh, that you enter into our brokenness. And that's exactly where you want to be. You did not desire to um, have the accolades of mankind. If you know what is in our hearts, but you desire honest and true worship, those seeking to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so this is our worship of you to say, this is what has been our loss. And by faith, we give this to you, knowing that you will bring joy, knowing that you have overcome Lord, knowing that you are our Savior and that you are our God with us. So Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would use this, this liturgy of lament that we are doing for this Advent series. We pray you would give us a good time of prayer as a staff team and as pastors and that next week would, would be a powerful time of prayer uh, and bringing these to you. Continue to be with us as we finish up our worship here this morning. In Christ's name we pray.